everybody, and welcome to the College Info Geek Podcast. My name is Thomas Frank, and this is a show that helps you become a more effective student, including study tips for being a more effective learner, ways to find the internships and jobs you want after graduation, and also ways to manage your money effectively. Now, this episode is the continuation of our two-part series on how to buy a car with Todd and Paul from Everyday Driver. And if you want all the intros for this series, you can go back to episode 69 and listen to it. This one's going to be much shorter. We're going to get right back into the interview, and you're going to keep learning about how to buy a car, how to negotiate price, what to look for on the dealer's lot, all that kind of stuff, so you can learn how to become a more informed buyer when you probably will have to go get a car at some point in the future. So, Real quick, you can find show notes at CIGpodcast.com. The episode 70 link will get you links to all the things we talk about in this particular episode. The 16, episode 69 show notes will also give you more links to more resources. So between those two, we'll have lots of resources that you can go expand your knowledge and build on the content in this episode. Also, if you want to follow Todd and Paul's work, uh, Everyday Driver on YouTube is their main channel where they do car reviews and also the Everyday Driver podcast on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you you uh, listen will give you car debates and you'll get to listen to people with specific scenarios and you know needs and budgets get some car recommendations and maybe you'll fit into one of those scenarios so let's get into this interview hope you learned something just like last time and yeah so um on the buying aspect you know you mentioned that lotus elise was salvage i think yeah. Uh, so my brother actually bought a salvage title Mustang for about okay. five grand. So for the people who don't know, can we explain the difference between salvage, used, certified, used? What sure. are all like the differences between those? And should you go into the salvage territory or should you not even touch it with a 39 well, I mean, foot pole? <laughs> I, I just kind of walked through a lot of this because I was looking for an FRS or a BRZ, which, of course, new are 25 to 30 grand. My mm. budget was 20, okay. not 25. My budget was 20. So I was shopping used. I, and we used all the stuff we're talking about. And I found a BRZ I liked, but it was a branded title. Now, branded title and salvage title are different. And this was news to me as well. Mm. Branded title typically is... For some reason, the car was bought back. It's very often lemon law. Okay. Okay. The car, the car had a recurring problem. The dealer bought it back. Um, we had to, we have to brand the title as this was sold and is now kind of scrapped. Kind of title. Okay. But in the case of this BRZ, it had a recurring fuel issue that the person was like, forget it. I don't want this car. Lemon law. California has very buyer friendly lemon laws. Okay. So if you complain about a problem three times, you can pretty much unload the car. Hmm. So you know. Who knows what the backstory of this car was? I was looking at it on a dealer. It was hard to say, but branded title meaning that Subaru had bought it back. They had fixed the problem and they had now had it for sale, but they had to sell it as a branded title. So that you can – hopefully if you're looking at a branded title car, you can find out why was this branded and it's probably not terrible. I would say if you're up for it, branded title – Buy it, but keep in mind that when you resell it, you're going to sell it for a fraction of what everybody else is selling it for, for the same reasons you were concerned. Right. Salvage is different. Okay. Salvage is the car got wrecked and the insurance company looked at the cost to repair the car and said, that's more than the car is worth. We're going to write it off. We're going to give the, give the person a check and say, this car was totaled. Okay. Now, maybe it was totaled, but in the course of my Lotus Elise discussion, it probably wasn't totaled. Mm-hmm. Okay, the right. back quarter got wrecked and it got, you know, the fiberglass got screwed up and you got to buy a new hatch for it. Fine. But the car's not totaled. Mm. But the insurance company just said, we're not dealing with this, whatever it is. Mustang is actually not an uncommon reality for a salvage title. I was going to add to that salvage part of the equation, and that is you might come across a salvage title car that you think, 
there's really nothing wrong. It was just a little bit of a ding or something. I can fix that. Or maybe the insurance company totaled it because um, an electronic part of the car failed. The black box or the brain or something failed. Always keep in mind when you, I'm not saying never buy a salvage title car, but buyer beware. Okay. (laughs) So know what you're doing, be willing to wrench on it, that kind of thing. Be willing to wrench and because that problem might reoccur if it was an electronic internal mm-hmm. kind of problem. Mm. Okay, if it was heavily damaged, you can get that fixed. The frame might always be bent or mm-hmm. something like that. But the salvage title means when when you go to sell that car, it's still going to have a salvage title on it. Yeah. yeah, Always for the rest of its life until it goes to the crusher. Yeah, It's always. So you might get a good deal, but pre- be prepared to lose money when you sell it again. And, and it's salvage, always going to be that way. And salvage is a much bigger dice roll because what happens with, I mean, with a salvage title is that somebody that sells cars and, and there are companies that just deal in salvage title cars and some of them are reputable. Some of them are not, but they will buy a car that's been totaled out and they will fix whatever it is till the car is roadworthy and they will go to whatever their state is and they will get a new title for it that is now listed as a salvage title mm-hmm. and they will sell it for far less. Now, some places, genuinely fixed the car some places stitched it together and sold it to you and just wiped their hands of you and laughed that's the problem with a salvage title because it literally could be a junkyard find that they kind of made work i mean you can you can look the internet only tells you terrible stories i will acknowledge that but the internet (laughs) would tell you unbelievable salvage title stories about cars like two halves of a car stitched together and sold as a salvage. (laughs) you can do like a mad max-esque thing absolutely very much you can wind up with a franken car it doesn't mean it huh. will happen, but you can wind up with a Franken car. What we normally tell people on salvage title cars is if it's going to be your kind of throwaway car or your track car or your thing where it's not your primary transportation, get a salvage title car. Mm. If it's your primary transportation, be very wary because there's a reason it's such a good deal. And you and with a salvage right. title, unlike a branded title, at least with a branded title, theoretically, it's probably coming from that dealer again. And they probably can tell you specifically why it was branded. Okay. With a salvage title, we fixed it. It's fine. Oh, it was, you know what? It was just a little ding on the back <laughs> rear wheel. Nobody, nobody totaled to out this car. Nobody totaled out this car for a it ding. It dried out from wheel. the Hurricane and Katrina flood. <laughs> yeah. You're fine. It's, exactly. it's dry now. So, it smells a little bit like dead raccoon, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you, you, that's the problem. The salvage title car is it is a total dice roll. You don't know what really was wrong with the car and what's mm. really been done to fix it. It could be fine. It could be a nightmare. Okay. You know, Thomas, on uh, your certified pre-owned CPO cars, yeah, yes, absolutely. You're going to pay more for them because they generally come with warranties. Mm-hmm. Okay. The manufacturer, the dealer has taken the car back. It's been a trade-in. It's been, you know, they've sold the car back or they've acquired it somehow. They've done their checklist of all their important uh-huh. check, uh-huh. you know, checklist yeah. of important points. It's passed everything. And they say, you know what? This is the best example of a used car we can offer. Mm. And it comes with a warranty. We'll give you a 12-month warranty on this car. Yes, absolutely. Great way to go, but it is going to cost you more. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah. there is that peace of mind because you're getting a warranty on a new on a used car. Of course, you can always add that on used cars. They sell you those, you know, add-on warranty kinds of products, but mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think it's a great way to go. I found great success with privately owned cars and owners who have all the records and okay. they have kind of done that themselves. Of course, it's out of warranty, whatever, but Fine. You know, they've got all the records. They've kept on the maintenance. They can prove it. And you should be good as well. I, yeah. I've, Like I said, I bought two cars that were completely out of warranty. Well, 
yeah. nearly there. You and did well. uh, you did very well. And, and they just that, kept up with the records. And that's, that's the thing. What if you, you buy if you buy a used car from a dealer, unless it's CPO, you really don't know the actual history of the car. I mean, right. hopefully it's decent, but you don't mm-hmm. really know. Yeah. If you buy from a private owner that's taken care of their car, they should be, and they frankly should, hand you the brick of records and be like, here's everything that's been done. And if you want to take time, you can go through and you can be like, well, this guy was actually terrible with his oil changes or he was great with his oil changes. Yeah. You at least know theoretically the problems you're buying. You buy a used car that's not CPO from a dealer. Hopefully it's good, but you really don't know the detail, details on it. Yeah. Now, can you get a lot? you can get a lot of those details from Carfax though, right? Well, you can get details on anything major, but you can't get maintenance details. You can't, oh, so Carfax won't tell you like the oil change schedule or anything. You, you changed your oil well, or okay. you, know, you chased this problem, or the you know the this this issue happened and you fixed it right away. Carfax won't tell you that. It'll tell you big huh. stuff, but it won't tell you. And, and you know sometimes it'll tell you, uh, okay, if it was put into a dealer and the dealer did service on it, but what did the dealer do service on? Now there is that's part of the scenario. If a car was serviced at a dealer. You can call the dealer and you, they, they won't – depending upon laws, they might not actually print you out the records, but they can at least talk you through what's been done. Okay. You can do that. So too. that's useful. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. If you can find the dealer yeah. where it was serviced, like if, especially if you can find a car that was used that was bought at the dealer you're like looking at it at now, it was probably serviced at that dealer. Right. You can go to the service department and be like, this VIN number, hook me up. What mm-hmm. happened? You know? Yeah. And always – in uh, in doing all your research, do all your research because yeah. you just always rely on the Carfax. It's not – even though the marketing and the commercials would like you to believe it's yeah, exactly. safe. But I've seen in some instances that, hey, this little thing, you know, the bump in the parking lot or something – panel was repaired. It wasn't a major accident, but it was still, it had body work or something that didn't appear on the Carfax. Okay. But the prior owner knew about it, but it, the Carfax looked clean. So yes, they're good. They're 90% of the way, but don't. Very helpful. Yeah. yeah very helpful. But you know, do your research, talk to the prior owner, all gotcha. that kind of stuff. The dealer should disclose if it has, if it's a CPO, it was repaired, you know, that kind of thing. They should disclose that. Yeah. So we're not, do your I mean, research. CPO so actually there's a question I had, uh, maybe you guys can answer for me. If you buy a car used from a dealer, is there any way you can know who the previous owner was or is that like not a like not a thing? Very difficult to discover. Very difficult. Okay. Some depending upon the rules of your state actually might be illegal to even disclose. Okay, gotcha. Um, that was, that was kind of what my thought on that would, was going to be. It's going to I think it varies somewhat state to state, but um, you know, when I've talked to dealers before about cars I was looking at buying, they absolutely cannot disclose that info. A lot of times the dealers are like, nope, can't give you that, which, okay, fine. Okay. I just yeah. want to know that the info, um, obviously Carfax will show you number of owners. Yeah. Uh, they'll show you owner's location, but who no, short of a, generally no. doing, yeah. gotcha. I'm gonna tell you. that, that well, was kind of my guess on that. When I got my car, I was like, maybe I could just call up the previous owner to see if he had the vibration issue or not. But then I was like, yeah, I probably wouldn't give out that information. On the other <laughs> hand, would you want to be called up and asked about your Chevy? Yeah, even probably not. I traded the thing because I hated it. <laughs> we're on, Sorry. You know, exactly. We have two Click. lines about this. I mean, there's CPOs are great, but let's be honest. CPOs are not foolproof either. Okay. okay. Yeah. And we we are we're certainly of this this mind. When we talk to people on the podcast. If you can find a car that you like CPO, fantastic. If you find a car that you like that's not, okay. Don't run away don't, from don't, it. Though. Yeah. Don't don't only shop for CPO because yeah. uh, you know I just bought this again. I keep coming back to it because it relates. This FRS I just bought. Okay. CPO. I was thrilled with it because. I wasn't shopping for a CPO. It didn't oh, was CPO. It was. I didn't, I didn't yeah. realize that. Okay. I, I, it was CPO. I wasn't shopping for that. I was looking for one that was the right price and was the right car. Right. 
I just happened to get it from a Toyota dealer that had originally sold the car, which was cool. They put a CPO on it. So I got a car with 36,000 miles, which is out of warranty for the factory, but I have a new 12-month warranty on it because it's CPO, which okay. is great. So here's two sides of this equation. That's hmm. cool. And they did their however many hundred-point inspection. I don't know what it was. They right. had a little flyer for how awesome it was. But there was a corner marker missing, a corner blinker marker missing on the car that I saw the moment I walked up to it. I was like, guys, this has been through your CPO. I'm noticing a corner marker missing. How did nobody else see that? Mm. It was tacked so on with chewing gum and it fell off. There's, like, two, there's, two, there's two sides of that equation. On one level, you're going to give me the CPO and the warranty and there's peace of mind there. Yeah. You're also going to fix it. The minute I mentioned it, they fixed it right away, which is great. And I knew they would and that's not a problem. But there's the other part that goes, folks, CPO has human error. Okay? Yes. So it's not like the fa- I got a CPO car. This is going to be perfect. No, it's not. It's just you got a little <laughs> bit of extra peace right. of mind there. So right. if you don't get CPO, fine. Right. And the thing about CPO is generally you don't get it unless the car is only a few years old, right? Like no True. more than two or three. It's, it's generally like, I speaking. think three is kind of the threshold. It's going to okay. depend on, on who, but generally three is kind of the threshold of how far you can go. You know, a lot of cases it's uh, it's been a lease, a return lease because they yeah, know okay. people have kept the miles down. They don't want to yeah. go over their mileage and they want to keep it nice. And so when they, those leases come back in, mm-hmm. generally they'll sell them as a CPO car because they know mm-hmm. the owner, they know the history. They've probably had its service there for the, yeah. you know, for the life of the lease. Yeah. And, you know, they know the history very easily. So easy for them to CPO the car. Okay. Yeah. That Mazda I was looking at, that was a CPO car. You know, it it had like a thousand miles on it because it was, they had just, it was their rental fleet, I think. Or something like that. Sure. Yeah. Uh, Mine isn't, but that's the thing that you can go back a few more years, get a better price. It might not be CPO, but uh, as long as you can look over the car and test it, you know, thoroughly, you're probably going to be fine. Yeah, and I will give you one other random bit of uh, of research that can be done. I mean, Consumer Reports is the granddaddy of long term ownership uh, mm. stuff, and you know their their information on the car can be pretty dry. But what's fascinating about it is you can look at their charts, and if you get a car, especially if you start to narrow down your list, you can get you can pick up one of their their books and you can look at it. They'll show you charts for here are the common uh, problems for different years. And I can't explain this to you, Thomas. I don't know why it happens, but you'll find a random car that all the 08s had engine problems. 07s mm. didn't. The 09s didn't. You may find an 08 that is unbelievably cheap and you're like, this is a great deal. I don't know why. Look at, look at the consumer reports and go, oh. Okay. <laughs> an example I actually found years ago. My wife and I were shopping for, for an SUV long before we got our Cayenne, long before we got our Arcadia. We were shopping. And I was looking at uh, the uh, XC90, the Volvo. Oh, yeah, right, right. And the V6 of the early model years was four or $5,000 cheaper than either the, the Turbo 5 or the big V8. And I was like, find deals on these cars. What's the deal? I started digging into Consumer Reports to find out that engine was a money pit. Okay, yeah. <laughs> and as soon as I saw that, I was like, well, now I understand why all of those are cheaper. And now in the minute it shows me that V6 from that you know year range, nope, off the consideration table. Yeah. So, that's a good thing to find. If you start narrowing in on a certain car, at least give that a glance because it, you may have a year that is known to have issues or you may discover, oh, wait, this variation was a problem car mm-hmm. and you can dodge that bullet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's crazy how common some of those problems can be. Mm-hmm. Uh, my roommate's old car, which he just scrapped, was a 1998 Oldsmobile Regency. Uh, mm-hmm. I just mentioned the name of the car and that it had problems to uh, a car geek friend of mine. And he's like, oh, yeah, those engines have problems with head gaskets. You basically got to swap them out <laughs> and they always melt. And I'm like, how do you know? 
specific problem of a specific one car. Yeah. But it's crazy. So uh, I guess let's move into the actual like buying process. When you walk onto the lot, I always tell people you want to have as as much information as you can because Mm -hmm. you're going into negotiation. But the first part of that, uh, after your research, of course, is you got to look over the car to see what, if anything, is wrong with it. You know, I think a lot of people don't know exactly what to look for. So there's definitely checklists we can link to in the show notes. But what are some common things people should look for before the test drive? You know, the biggest thing that pops to mind is what uh, it's a sales tactic that dealers like to do. And it's actually towards the end of the buying process. Hmm. The conversation is never around the final price of the car. They always approach you with how much money do you make? How much can you afford per month? Hey, well, you can afford this car because it's just a little bit over your monthly payment. Well, the way they finagled that is you're charged more for the car and maybe it's a 72 month loan instead of a 60 month loan. Yeah. And you didn't realize until you get to the paperwork or after you've signed, Oh, this is a much longer term loan than I originally ever mm. wanted. Always talk the final sale price of the car. That's the ex- out the door price. The, the walkout door price. price. Yeah. And always think tax title license. That's you're not done. Yes. Yeah. Tax title license tacked onto that. Obviously in California, it's quite a bit more than other areas. Mm. Which you but, can almost uh, you can almost guess fifteen hundred to two yeah. grand will be yep. tacked on always. So, always so whatever price they're talking about, we're going to get a great deal. Blah blah. You know what? Certainly, what I use as a negotiation tactic. I mean, we're we're down to the end of the buying process here, but I I generally say I want to talk to you as an out the door price. Yeah, and I start throwing out numbers mm-hmm. and then let them do the math. Yep, you can talk an out the door price that you can't go over this figure. And then they can do the math backwards and figure out, okay, so if we take tax title license, what does that mean we're actually selling the car for? Let them worry about that and mm-hmm. you stick to your number. And then, of course, they will come back with, yeah, but it's only 25 bucks more a month. If that's right. your number, stay by your number. If you want to play some hardball, right. you can give them a number 500 or or $1,000 below where you think you can actually stop just to give them somewhere to move so you feel like you've been nice. Mm-hmm. Done that. But talk about a round number out the door price, let them back time that, so to speak, to the actual car price. You can talk that. But back to your initial question of where to start, I forget this. Everybody forgets this. Try everything. Do the windows roll? Yeah. Does the trunk open and close? <laughs> you know, yeah. do the lock button work? Does the lock button work on the passenger side? Mm-hmm. I never get in the passenger side. I don't even think about it. Get in the rear seats. <laughs> yeah. Is everything there that's supposed to be there? It's so easy to forget that because you're like, I want to drive the car. I want to buy the car. Oh, that's yes. My headspace. Get in and try all the buttons. Get in and try, you know, do the wipers work? It sounds stupid, but especially if you're not at a dealer and you're dealing with a significantly older car, that yeah. stuff can sneak up on you. You can find it later. I would also pop the hood. Now, some people can get nuts. They're smelling the transmission fluid. You can do that. <laughs> Seriously, I've seen it happen. You can do all that if you want. I'm sure you can get online and find here's your checklist, like you say. But the easy ones are check all the buttons, all the switches, make sure it all works. Mm-hmm. Pull the dipstick out of the oil. Okay. What's that oil look like? Okay. Yeah. Most places point. that are going to be halfway decent are going to get a car in. And I'm not talking dealers. I'm talking, I mean, I'm not talking like manufacturer dealers. I'm talking everybody. They'll get a car in and they'll give it an oil change. Right. I feel like if they gave it an oil change, they're at least trying to sell you a halfway decent car. That's not yeah. foolproof, but you can pull that dipstick out of there and you can see, is the oil black and nasty or is it mostly clear and yellow? Does it have enough oil? That's a pretty easy indicator for, okay, right away I feel like somebody's at least looked Just at this a car. health check. You know? Mm-hmm. Kind of thing. Uh, I think you have, to, you have to steal your mind while you're doing this because uh, – <laughs> so two different experiences. When I, when I went over all these checks of the Mazda, the salesman was polite, but he just didn't – I almost felt like I was rushed. 
Mm-hmm. I almost felt like I was on, like he was on edge or I was on edge taking all this. Whereas when I went down to the dealership at the Maxima, the guy was super chill. I was looking at everything. He was like super friendly, made it really easy to just meander through the process. And that was great, but it, you might not get a salesman like that. So mm-hmm. just keep in mind that you don't have to buy this car and you don't have to be the salesman's best friend because you probably won't be. You won't so be. But I, and I, even and if I, you feel on edge or you feel awkward about it, take the time to go through these checks because you're the one that has to drive the car. No question. Yeah. The other thing that I would say is I think there's two layers to test driving. You know, we're talking about test driving lots of cars mm. earlier. There's kind of layer one, which is the literally I'm just looking standpoint. Yeah. And go and, and don't don't do all this thing. We're talking about checking on that on that step. It's literally mm. get in, drive the car, go get in, drive another one. The windows work. The windows don't work. Who cares? The oil is whatever the oil is. Just drive it and get that experience. Yeah. You start narrowing down. Let the salesman know that. Mm-hmm. I'm that you're, I'm looking at this I'm car now? I'm serious about this car. Okay. I want to do a long test drive and I want to really check it over. That way it gets his headspace around the fact of this guy might be here an hour or two. This is yeah. going to take some time. It's very different than just I want to test drive this. Thanks for your time. I've been here a half hour. Cool. Once you get into – I did this with my FRS. I test drove it for 10 minutes around the block. I said, all right, man. I'm bringing my wife back by this weekend. I want to take at least an hour test drive. I'm going to walk through this car. Mm. We were 90 minutes, two hours in before I said, all right, let's talk money. Mm. But okay. he knew when I was coming back, I'm coming back with his headspace. So you can actually, that's kind of like round two, I feel like, of the shopping experience where you can go, now I'm serious and I'm really looking at this car. You got to give me some space and some time. Yeah. I like that because I think it's it's common to consider car salesmen as like the enemy when you're going into the dealership. Like this is the enemy to be fought and defeated with negotiation. No question. They're people just like anyone else. And you know, they're going to appreciate knowing what your intentions are. And I think that's great. You know, I, I didn't have a phase where I was going and test driving a million cars, but if I did, I think it would have been a good thing to let them know. Like I'm just in the looking phase right now. I Mm -hmm. probably won't buy today. I guarantee you, I guarantee you, if you say, I'm just looking, the next thing out of the salesman's mouth will be, mouth will be, well, you could stop looking right now. (laughs) Guarantee you. I've heard that more times than I can count. So I'm telling all of your listeners this so that if it happens, we can all just kind of laugh to ourselves that it just got (laughs) up together again. But, but honestly, you're letting them know where you are and then they can kind of prepare their headspace for what you're doing. Yeah. I I admit we're kind of going in the reverse order, but uh, Thomas, for your listeners, there's some shopping that you have to do. Before you go shopping for a car. Okay. Guess what that is. You got to uh, go insurance. shopping for, no, for oh. your interest rate. You need yes. to know where are you going to get this car financed through. Mm-hmm. If you're paying cash and you've got the bones, great. Wonderful. Good on you. Generally mm-hmm. speaking, that's not what people are going to want to do. So first of all, you have to decide, am I going to purchase or am I going to lease? If you're going to purchase, you need to decide and go do some shopping with banks, yeah. whether it's your credit yeah, yeah. union or your bank. Yeah. You want to go shop the best interest rate and have that in your hip pocket. You want to get your financing lined up first before you go into the dealership. You want to know, yeah. how am I going to pay for this instead of letting the dealership do that for you? Now, I admit I my recent purchase, I got a brand new Jeep Grand Cherokee and the dealership was great. And their interest rate, as a matter of fact, was better than what I could get at a bank. That's not always the case. Also, yes, we're talking, you know, as your salesman, the friend of the enemy, it just depends, but they don't make a lot of money on the sale of the car. They generally Mm. don't. They they're there to turn cars over and get cars through the dealership. Dealerships make their money in parts and service. 
That's where dealerships make their, okay. their money. It's not in the sales. It's not in the sales of the car because, you know, the salesman is trying to protect his commission. He wants to make as much commission on that. Well, the dealership still takes their chunk. And by the way, there's still holdbacks. These things called holdbacks. If you're really wanting to know, Google holdbacks on dealerships because dealerships are paid a certain amount of money to keep an inventory on their lot. They're actually paid right. to keep cars in inventory by the manufacturer. So they're huh. still making money. They want to make as much money as you can. So that's why I say don't shop in terms of monthly payment. Shop in terms of price because you already know. You've already done your financing shopping. You've got the best rate possible. If they offer you a better one, wonderful. That's great. Yeah. But yeah. get that interest rate in your mind so you already know and you've already translated that to here's my budget. It's 20 grand. Mm-hmm. I know what interest rate I'm getting. I already know if I spend 20 grand – this is what it's going to cost me per month. That's just simmering in the back yeah. of your mind. And you already know without having to tell the salesman that because he's going to start to probe for that, those questions. Mm-hmm. If indeed you are just looking that day and you haven't really sorted that out, wonderful. Just go look. Go drive and yeah. you haven't quite finished shopping for your, uh, as you said, insurance. Yes, but shopping for your interest rate and shopping for your money first. Yeah. And That's so a huge deal. One good thing I'll mention is uh, Auto Trader and Car Gurus, they both have payment calculators mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. any car page. So yeah. you can put in the interest rate you want. You can put in what it costs, what down payment, if any, trade in, anything like that. Yeah. And yeah. another thing is, um, yeah, for, for, so with my Maxima, I went onto my bank's website and I looked at their auto loan rates. Well, yeah. on Car Gurus, um, it'll say an average of like 6.9% APR for a used car mm-hmm. or like the dealership uh, website said the same thing. My bank could give me a 2.49. Exactly. So I didn't even apply for it. I simply went to the dealer and said, my bank will give me 2.49. If you guys can beat that or match it, I'll Great take it. Job. And they were like, okay, we'll try. And they did. That's fantastic because now that puts you in a position of power with the dealer because they know you've done research. Mm -hmm. You're walking in armed and you can now say, you know what? I want to do business with you. Mm -hmm. I don't have to buy the car. As you said, Thomas, I'm not under obligation. But now I've done my research and here's the interest rate that my bank has said. Can you beat that? Because if you do, guess what? I'll buy the car from you today. Mm -hmm. I'll walk out. I'll drive out of here. And they'll do everything they can. Now, you know, you got to watch the add-ons and all that jazz. Right. They're going to want your business so much, they'll try to beat that. And if they can, you're saving money. And and big big dealers can, you know, I had this experience recently. Big dealers can go, okay, here's all the banks we can deal with. Do you have anybody you already deal with? And they'd be like, yeah, I have have an account at this bank. Mm -hmm. And it should be with my credit. Mm -hmm. They've got it. I've already got – I had this when I did the FRS. Again, I keep coming back to it because it was literally a month ago. The – I said to the, the dealer, I said, I've used this bank. I have an account already and I already have another auto loan with them and they gave me this rate. I want that rate from that bank at this term. And he was like, okay, based on your credit, shouldn't be a problem. Mm-hmm. If you have terrible credit, I will acknowledge you will be at the mercy of whoever wants to give yes. you. Yes. <laughs> so, you have terrible credit. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to do a little aside because I know I have like high school students and very early college students who listen to every episode of this podcast. Even yeah. if they're not looking to buy a car for a few years – once you're 21, because that's when the law is that you can get a credit card on your own now, get one and start yes. building credit. Just Absolutely. put your Netflix or something monthly just on there. Have it auto pay. Never have a late payment. We've okay. done episodes. Actually, I, I, I republished a List of Money Matters episode on credit cards a few weeks ago. So listen to that because you are going to thank yourself when okay. you go into the dealership and they're like, 
congratulations you have like a 750 credit score yeah. you're fine you can have whatever rate you want <laughs> exactly, exactly and also they may not even want a down payment like i yeah. went in there thinking that i was going to have to essentially clean out half of my checking account on a down payment they're like no down needed yep. just start paying it a month from now i still haven't paid a cent on my car yep <laughs> about like the 12 yeah, days i will funny. But <laughs> me either. Exactly, exactly that situation. I totally agree. And, and you know, it's interesting you bring that up because I didn't, when I went through college, I didn't do exactly what you're saying at all. Hmm. And I got married and did not have a decent, I didn't have a credit card in my name still. I got married at 25. My wife had a credit rating. So she hmm. actually co-signed with me to get my first credit card at 25. Really? Okay. Terrible. Do not do this. Please <laughs> do not do this. I mean, get married at 25, sure, but do not do this. Yeah. So we had to build our credit kind of together because I had mm. to piggyback off of her to get my first credit card. But then you're right. Then you just, even if it's little stuff, constantly paying it off totally transforms your credit situation. And by the time we were both 30, we had excellent credit. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. but my, but my parents never got me like a co-signed credit card. They were very worried about that in college. So by the time I got out of college, suddenly all your credit card opportunities, you get bombarded in college with all of these offers. Mm-hmm. You graduate college and it's crickets. So, you know, <laughs> you know, it's funny that students don't get bombarded anymore. Oh, really? Yeah. After 2009, the government uh, added something where uh, a person under 21 cannot get a credit card without a co-signer. So all like the companies backing up with dump trucks of free frisbees and koozies and whatever for Seriously, like that that's not a thing anymore. Yeah, and I, I, I everyone well, told me okay. you're going to go to college and they're going to be throwing frisbees at you and they're going to ding you in the forehead and the credit card will be in your mouth. Yeah. And it didn't happen because that rule change. Okay, well but I'm yeah. actually mad about that, but you're still but you're still <laughs> right. The, the chance that you have, the first chance you have to get a credit card, I absolutely would because mm-hmm. you. Certainly when you get into cars and houses and that kind of stuff, revolutionized by the fact that you've been diligent on a credit card. No question. Yeah. yeah. And here's one thing I did um, when I was in the office with the finance manager, which I want to talk about that meeting as well, because that'll inevitably happen. I sat there in front of him, pulled out my phone calculator and calculated how much interest I would pay. Good for you. Extra stuff. Because he was like, do you want the warranty? And I'm like, let me calculate how much extra interest that's going to put on the loan and everything. Uh And another thing to look at is, you know, I guess we could just get into the finance meeting as well. Um, in some states, you have what's called like simple interest loans. I don't know if California has that, but at least in my state, I can pay off my car loan early and there's no penalty. But apparently not every state has that. So, it's, yeah. It's been, no. it, it actually can also depend on your bank. It depends on the bank oh, okay. and, or the credit union. And that's the thing is I would make sure you're – because I've, I've had friends that got completely screwed by that. You've got to find mm-hmm. – make sure that your uh, your finance situation is a situation where there is no penalty on early payment. And that's just yeah. the question to ask. Am I getting a loan where there's no penalty on early payment? And then you can pay more. You can pay faster. All that mm-hmm. kind of stuff is fine. You're absolutely, you're absolutely right. You absolutely want that. And then on the warranty st- standpoint – between, I mean, it's it's like it's like a American Gladiator gauntlet. Between the, hmm. we have a deal on the car, and you left the car. There's like 45 people. <laughs> I swear to you. Okay, one's yep. the add-on guy. One's the don't you want the undercoating? And by yeah. the way, you don't. Yeah. And then eventually you get the finance guy, and the finance guy is now still trying. Well, I have this warranty, and I have this gap insurance, and I have this thing, and I have yep. this thing. Your head is spinning. There is nothing wrong with taking in your laptop and a spreadsheet. I've done mm-hmm. it. And literally just keep plugging in a different number and watching it ripple. They will know you're serious. They will know you're not fooling around. The other thing I would say is warranties, I'm 50-50 on them. I'm talking about aftermarket now. You buy a brand new car, you've got a warranty. Congratulations. Papers off you go. You buy a used car, they're going to want to get you a warranty. Warranties are a bit of a dice roll. And What I would Mm -hmm. really look at 
personally is, could you, instead of adding three grand onto your loan, could you put a hundred, 150 bucks just in the bank in a savings account for possible car repairs every month? Yeah. Because the thing about that is that's the warranty that will not fail. Whatever goes wrong with your car, you have money that you can pay for it with. Mm-hmm. The warranty becomes a discussion. Some of them, I will acknowledge, are great. They really do what they say and they'll cover it. But it's always a fine print situation of does this apply to the warranty I'm paying for? And if it doesn't, you're now out of pocket anyway. Yeah. So I'm personally, and this is me personally, I'm personally of the mind from my own experience, I'd rather put money away that I know will pay for whatever it is mm-hmm. than have the warranty negotiation of does this apply or not. Yeah. It, personally with the Maxima, I did buy a warranty. Mm-hmm. I think it ended up being like an extra 1600. Sure, um, it seemed very good. Like thinking back on it, I feel like I didn't read enough into the specific fine print of the warranty itself. I did read up a little bit on used car warranties in general before going into the dealership. So were I to do it over again, I probably would have been a little bit more careful on it. However, I don't feel like I got screwed and sure. I'm the kind of person that wants the peace of mind on that. But yeah, yeah like you said, it's a great alternative to just be able to put some away in savings every month and and just kind of like designate that as car repair money and it's not for interest it's none of those situations yeah i'll be perfectly honest with you if everybody we've ever talked to about cars it's almost a 50 50 split 50 Mm. percent of people are like warranties are great it's awesome never had a problem they're the greatest thing i buy used cars with warranties and all it's all of it is hallelujah and it's great and the other half is Here's all the times it screwed me. So that's why I literally say it's a dice roll. Yeah. And these are your options. If you don't want to rope, rope the warranty in and they will push it. <laughs> but yep. if you don't rope the warranty <laughs> in, I would say really debate in yourself, okay, you know what? Could I just put that money away? Because that will work. So what you're yeah. saying is just steal yourself. Prepare yourself to walk into a dealership and spend half your Saturday afternoon <laughs> oh, or yeah. half the day yes. in the dealership talking to all these people. Yes. Is that what you did, Thomas? Yes. Oh, my God. I was there at 9 a.m., <laughs> and after I decided to buy the car, I figured I'd be out by noon. I was out by 3.30. I was yeah. between the test drive, Welcome waiting for finance you. numbers, everything, getting the the dude who told me how to use all the functions. I was there for six and a half hours. You know, it's it's a long process. That yeah, is. You, you know, know there's a lot of it out there waiting for them. Like they're in there judging your credit score and everything. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Watching you behind a two-way mirror. Yes. Yeah, for sure. There's a, a little random aside that I thought for new graduates joining large companies and uh, employees who work for the car companies get something called A-plan pricing. Those are the huh. biggest discounts that you can buy a brand new product because you work for the company. Yeah. A lot of these car companies have partnerships with large firms, whether that be a, a software company or an accounting firm. If you go to work for a large company, look into to see if they have a partner sharing program because in a lot of cases, you can save 3 to 5% off the list price of a new car. They, huh. It's not the same as if you worked for Ford or GM or you know a lot of these car companies. You know, you're an employee of the company. But, but it is a, just it is keep a that in mind. Worthwhile, yeah, very Insider worthwhile. Discount. You're absolutely right. Yeah. It's just kind okay. of a it's a random thing. It obviously doesn't apply to everybody. Not everybody, you know, goes to work for a large company like that. But yeah. look into that if you do. You know, just see if you have some sort of mm-hmm. company partner sharing program, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. pricing program for different products. And and I'm not talking just for cars, but that can be 
computer equipment, um, you know, sometimes Apple store, yeah. you name it. And yeah. it, again, it just depends, but just look into that. Yeah, just know those that those large, kinds of things those exist. large national or multinational mm, yeah. companies that have got huge pockets and deep connections have got yeah. all kinds of crazy. It's, it's yeah. buying power. It's yeah. purchasing power. Oh, wait, so. on that note, um, when I was going through the, to get my quotes from Progressive and Geico, I noticed that it would ask if I was part of my university alumni association or any Here business uh, organization. So, hey, if you get the chance to get into your university's alumni association really cheap after you graduate, that could save your money on car insurance as well. The letters for uh, please give to your university come about six months after you graduate. <laughs> you think, I'm not even, what are you, you jerks? I have had to block their number. <laughs> the university yeah. found it. Yeah, I mean like, sure, I'll donate when I'm super rich and like when I'm 40 or something, but I just graduated. Don't call me now. <laughs> Don't call. What are you, Why are you calling? I'm still, you know, most of the, most students are still paying off their loans. Yeah, exactly. You're yeah. not going to be donating to the scholarship fund with it is still negative net worth. Yeah. So, yeah. oh man. Okay, so we have the finance meeting. I'm trying to remember if there's anything else in the finance meeting. Besides the warranty, I, I don't think there was other than a lot of signing papers. I think I signed like 20. One thing I made sure to do was read all, all the contracts I was signing. Yeah. And I don't, I don't think I like signed my firstborn away or anything, but that might be a good thing to do. It is. It is it's the only one worse is buying a house. I mean, you will be oh, shoved. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. In the car buying process. Yeah. And I would say this one other thing that will come up is gap insurance. OK. And what's that? Uh, gap insurance is this. You bought a $20,000 car. I'm just going to use simple numbers. You bought a $20,000 car. You drove it off the lot. It's instantly worth 15. Right. Okay. You total that car tomorrow. The insurance company is going to go, this car is worth $15,000. You have a $5,000 gap. Okay. I'm making an extreme example here, but that's just kind of rough numbers. Okay. You have a $5,000 gap between what the insurance company is going to pay you for the car and what the bank is expecting to get. Okay, so you need that insurance would pay back that extra five grand. Basically. If you have gap, mm-hmm. exactly, gap insurance okay. covers the difference. Okay, I I am of two minds about this as well. You need to figure out if you're buying a used car, you it drove off the lot and it's almost worth the same you paid for it. I mean, maybe mm, yeah, dollars or a thousand or whatever. Maybe, maybe not the case for new cars. You, know, you bought a new car, it's going to yeah. plummet, and you just have to figure out. Okay, you have to think it through. It's almost an appetite type for risk. You know, because uh, you may have the car for what they're counting on. Let's be honest. They would not sell this insurance if they did not make money on it. They're <laughs> right. counting on the fact right. that you're going to have this car for five years. You're never going to total it, which let's be honest. That's what the statistics prove out. You're going to mm. have you're never going to total it. It's going to be fine. So the gap insurance is money in their pocket. OK, you have to figure out what is your appetite for risk on that. Sometimes, yeah. in fact, recently had a conversation about this. Sometimes if you have the car. You buy the gap insurance, you sell it in a year, you can go back to people that got you gap insurance and you can get the rest of that five years back. Okay. Sometimes. But you just have to figure mm-hmm. out how much – you have to kind of think in your mind, how much might my gap be? Yeah. Can I can I absorb that? If it's going to be a few hundred bucks, absorb it. If it's going to be thousands, you might not be able to pull off a thousands. I had a friend yeah. one, literally who had a car, no gap insurance. The car caught on fire. Oh, yikes. And it was totaled out. But the insurance company's payment between that and what he what he actually owed was a few thousand dollars, and he went without a car for six months because he didn't have another choice. Wow! So that's an extreme example. Obviously, in every category, that's extreme example. Mm-hmm. But that's if they say, "Do you want gap insurance?" This is what we're talking about, and you kind of have to know based on the car you're buying and what it might depreciate at. What might my gap be, and can I absorb that? And again, like everything else, they want to roll it into your loan, which increases your monthly payment. 
So can you do that as well? Mm-hmm. We might be back to the situation where you say no on gap insurance, but you're thinking about that in your mind of, okay, just financially be aware. Yeah. And that also relates to your down payment. Because I remember, I think they offered me gap insurance when I was in the finance manager's office. And he's like, here's the Kelly Blue Book value of your car. Here's what you're paying for it. Do you want the gap insurance? And I said, no, because I'm planning on making my first payment like four grand because I want to just chunk this loan down as fast as I can. So the first month I pay it off, it's now the loan is less than the KBB value. Gap insurance is pointless. Exactly. You're exactly right. At that point, there's no point whatsoever for this to happen. Mm -hmm. I love the, uh, I mean, obviously what you're getting at, Thomas, for your listeners is preparedness. And to, to your point too, is when you walk in and you're sitting in the finance manager's office, I mean, through the whole day, obviously we've, we've said, all right, it's a day at the dealership. If everybody gets the idea you've walked in prepared, they're going to treat you differently. That's they true. really are. I hate to say that, but they're going to treat you as if, all right, you're sharp cookie. You know what you're doing. You know how much you want to spend. We're going to be straight with you. We want to yeah. make a profit too. And it's fair for them to make a profit. Yeah. They're in business too. They, they need to make a living too. So have that in mind. But if you walk in prepared, they're going to treat you differently. They're going to give it to you straight. They're not going to try to add on things and upsell you and change your yeah, your term of your much, loan. Or, yeah, yeah. It's going to be different. And I will say, side note, the same thing has to do with maintenance. If mm. you keep your car clean and you have it maintained, the dealership or the mechanic service is going to say, you know what? You actually care about your car. So therefore I'm going to care about your car too. I'll do a good job. Yeah. Same kind of mindset. Whereas if there's dirty dishes rattling around in the back and there's crap and a basketball in the trunk and (laughs) keep your car clean, especially when you take it, wash it before you take it in for service because they're going to go, ah, you keep your car clean. You take pride in your car. Well, yeah. therefore, we'll do a good job. We'll wipe the extra oil off. We'll whatever instead of just treating it like an appliance. Yeah. So in a, both a good, cases. A good parallel to that. It's like if you go over to a friend's house to watch a game or something and their house is just a pit, like you're going to walk in, keep your shoes on, flop down on the couch, yeah. not really care. But if they yeah. like this really nice house, you're going to like care. You know, you're going to take extra care to keep everything clean when you go to the bathroom <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. So, right. I think right. that's just a common human thing. Yeah, if something is nice or, or competent, you're going to treat it as such. Yeah, it sounds yeah. weird, but you know, if you think about it, your engine bay is your mechanic's workspace, mm-hmm. and if it's an abysmal place to be, that's, that's <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah, uh, if it's spotless, and look, it's an engine; it's going to be dirty. It's not going to be spotless. But you yeah. know what I'm saying? If it's a, if it, the, your car is nice and the engine bay is nice, instantly his headspace is different. And mm-hmm. I've I've heard many stories about that from from mechanics. Yeah. Also, don't you think that if you walk into the dealership when you're shopping, if you look sharp, if you look nice, don't you think that's going to make an impression and they're going to treat you differently? Again, I hate to say it, but just like any job interview, you're taking it seriously and Mm -hmm. they're going to see that you're not Mm -hmm. walking in dressed like you're a Saturday and you know, you're, you're looking yeah. nice. I'm not mm-hmm. saying suit and tie, no, but, no, no. but if yeah. you look sharp, they're going nice. to think, wow, it's, but you're focused on being there to buy the car and that mm-hmm. brings us to something else. And this is, this is terrible to say, but it's kind of somewhat true. Sometimes the person selling you a car actually doesn't know more about the car than you do. If you've yeah, done right. a lot of research, right. you may know more than they do. And so if you are a person that has researched heavily, all of these points we're talking about, Go in standing on that. And when they tell you your research is wrong, don't believe that. Stand yeah. on your yeah. research. Yeah. Because sometimes – look, I've, I've met car dealers and I've met car salesmen who are car geeks and they know it and they get it. And, I, and they got, love cars got a to start with. 
I've met guys that they could have sold me a box fan or a car today. <laughs> it would not have mattered. Right. Yeah. So either way, I'm coming and going, I'm serious. I've got info. This is what we're doing. And mm-hmm. stand Because yep. the only time I ever felt screwed buying a car, I second-guessed my own information. Huh. Okay. Mm. You know, I, I, I could be very confident that it was the situation I was with in that because uh salesman, awesome guy. You know, I, I was very comfortable around him, but the dealership was a Chrysler Dodge uh, Jeep dealership who just happened to have a Nissan traded in. Sure. So I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm like, this is a CVT. And he's like, yep. Uh, okay. <laughs> like, I just barely <laughs> knew what I was talking about and everything. Yeah, 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 definitely. So I was like, okay, well, I know more about this car through one night of research than anybody at the dealership does. Not other than the service guys. It'll so be, I feel it'll good. Quickly evident you know, <laughs> where, where things are at. And if the salesman is just there because you want to come make a lot of money, come work at a car dealership. Yes. Or are you a car enthusiast and you really care about your customers? It just depends. I've, I've ridden with, yeah, that, that's always a question that I ask when we're into it and you've got your salesman and you're walking around the lot. I always just slip this question in. I say, so how long have you been doing this? Oh, two weeks. Okay. That tells me everything I need to know. Or you know what? I've been in this business for 15 years and I've done this and this and I've seen this and I'm here because I really believe in these cars. I love whatever that is. Yeah. There's a big difference between, you know, they just came out of clothing retail (laughs) or are they car enthusiasts? So I always like to slip those questions in that give me information about them. It's just a friendly Mm. Hey, how long you been doing this? How long you been working here? Yeah, you like your job? Do you like working here? Or do you hate it? Yeah. <laughs> you know, are you ground into the earth? You know, those little conversational questions. Yeah. You learn about the dealer too. We'll, we'll yeah. tell you about the yeah. dealer. You might say, man, you know, this dealer is great to work for. They're awesome. They treat their employees well. And this, and you think, hmm, I can support that. Mm-hmm. Or this dealer is a money grubbing so-and-so and blah, blah, blah. They'll, they'll start to confide in you like that. And it's just yeah. in terms of casual conversation. Yeah. You can interject these questions in there and, and just start to get to know the person and mm. you know, point the dealership as well. And I think that should influence your buying decision as well, because you know, it's, you might have a problem with the car the next week after you buy it. And like, if you call the dealer back and they're great, you're going to be happy. If they're, if you call them back and you're just like, uh, they're slimy, mm-hmm. it's not good. So I was pretty happy with my dealer. I would, and I would definitely say when you're in a dealer experience, trust your own instincts. Really yeah, for sure. And, and you don't think so. You think, okay, but they sell cars for a living and blah, blah. <laughs> but if you've got a bad feeling yeah. about it, walk. You can find another one. Yeah. Don't so make, Don't make more cars. <laughs> I'm confident of this. That's true. So this is turning into like a master class on how to buy a car. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and I know you, you, we should probably wrap up pretty soon. Uh, real quick, like five minutes. What should yeah. people do in the test drive? Hmm. Actually in the test drive. Ask for a different route. Okay. Oh, so do a lot of dealerships have a... Absolutely. Okay. They know, and it's generally a couple blocks around Mm -hmm. the dealership. Say, I want to take it on the freeway. If there's mountain or twisty roads nearby, I want to take it on that. Ask the dealer, you know, how long do you have? Can we take it on a 30-minute, 20-minute mm-hmm. okay. test drive? Ask and for a different route. Keep in, keep in mind, it's back to the kind of two-layer. That's fantastic. I absolutely agree with that. Fantastic thing about it, though, is keep in mind the two stages of buying. If you're just right. doing a simple test drive, do the simple test drive route. Take a five-minute one. I would say this, though, uh, adding on to what Paul's saying. If you know where you're going, you know your city, Google map the area. Mm-hmm. Find yeah. the route you'd like to do. 
Okay. Uh, find a route that goes, uh, you know what? And, and tell the guy when you start, look, I want to go out here to this entrance and I want to get on the freeway. I want to do a couple exits to come back. They're not going to fight you on that. Right. The, the, the half hour, one hour test drive, that's the thing to do on stage two when you're getting serious mm-hmm. and sure. still pick your route then. But for the, for the basic uh, test drive, mix it up as much as you can. I would say try to get some freeway driving. If you can, try to find a freeway with an interesting on-ramp, a big curve in ah, it, not okay. just a stoplight and a yes. turn. A big curve <laughs> because then you can feel the suspension weight. You can actually feel what the car does in a turn because a lot of car dealers, as we've talked about already, are nowhere near fun roads. So the right. best you can get is a nice <laughs> on-ramp with a big sweeper. That counts because you can feel the way the suspension ra- uh, tightens and you can feel the way the steering feels. Don't just do stoplights. Do a couple blocks, come back. Yeah, they're on that mega mechanical mile or whatever it is. That's yeah, just, that's that's <laughs> you know industrial commercial area. That's not, that's not fun. You, you need something okay. you can really put your foot in it, which is a freeway on ramp, and you can really feel the car actually rotate. You can actually feel the shift of it on the suspension and a good sweeper on a freeway is helpful for that. Both of those are good. If you can find, hey, there's a twisty road through this neighborhood four blocks away, go do that road. Okay. Because you're going to you're gonna feel more about the car when it's actually changing its weight shift and going around a corner than you ever will at a stoplight or you ever will driving through a neighborhood slowly. Don't yeah. do that. It All at that point you realize is, can you reach all the controls and do I like the way the seat feels? Which yeah. is important. But it's not the way the car drives. It's not everything. It's interesting that you guys have that you guys have in your experience have uh, found just set routes in the dealers. Both oh, the ones yeah. I went to, they didn't tell me anything about the okay. route. Sometimes they don't, but and that's fine. Yeah, I think that but generally speaking, the sales guy will say, "Well, I'll just go ahead and take a left here," and then yeah. you start to go, oh, "Okay, oh, you're trying to come <laughs> out me. You're trying to tell me where to go, and I don't want to do that." Yeah, my the Maxima had like a 50 mile counter on it. Okay. There was like test drive mode, so I could take it that far. Um, couple of tips from my own experience. One, the dealer for the Mazda, he turned the radio on. I would say turn it off so you can listen to the engine. Also turn it up so you can make sure none of the speakers are rattling or anything, like have variable volume on there. And also before you go to the dealer, map out a a route that goes through part of your town that has sort of a bad road. Like not a horrible road, but like you need to figure out how it's going to drive on like kind of not greatly maintained roads that are not fantastic when you can. I mean, you know, railroad tracks work for that and like that that just gets you get disrupts the car. I mean, that's that's the thing about the big big freeway on ramp thing is what we're doing here is we're not doing simple, straight, has a stoplight, flat road. Right. Anything that does that speed bumps. <laughs> You'll find suspension just rattles because, real quick. Just because you're you're unsettling the car from simple driving. Yeah. You don't have to hoon it. Please don't hoon it. Just <laughs> get somewhere where you can actually feel the car do something normal than just we rolled down the block. Because rolled down the block really doesn't tell you anything about how well the car is driving. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Well, man, guys, this has been well, one, the longest podcast episode I've ever done. So <laughs> <laughs> I think what I'm gonna do yeah, I think I might it. split it into two. And just okay. have two weeks of, of car buying goodness, um, okay. which people will not know until the end of the second episode. Now that I'm saying it now, but <laughs> <laughs> I'll let them know in the intro as well. Um, I guess I want to get you guys like or to be able to say where people can go to figure your find your um, other stuff online. One last tip that I want to say is uh, if it's a used car, ask the dealer if you can take it in for a pre-purchase inspection. Absolutely. At a mechanic yeah. you trust. Great point. Absolutely. Just so they can they can tell you straight without any um, what do you call that ulterior motives, whether or not the car is worth buying or if it's got problems. 
And those cost like 60 bucks. That's the thing mm. about it. Pre-purchase inspection is like 60 bucks. Plan for that in your shopping. Yeah. If a dealer doesn't want to do that, that is a massive red flag. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay? yeah. Every place should be fine with it. Occasionally, they'll, you'll find somebody's like, no, I don't want to do that. Well, that that's your walkaway point. Yep. 60 bucks to do it. And the great thing about it is there may be nothing wrong with the car, but the, but the pre-purchase inspection may tell you, you know what? You've only got probably about 10,000 more miles on these brakes. The brakes yeah. are fine, but you know right away, put a little mark <laughs> in your notebook that says, you want a couple months, I need to get my brakes done. Mm-hmm. Nothing wrong with the car. Stuff mm-hmm. wears out. Mm-hmm. But that pre-purchase will tell you that. And you know even that going in, this is what this car is like. Yep. Yeah. Great. Well, guys, thank you so much. If people yep. want to watch your videos on YouTube or listen to your podcast, where can they find those things? You know, go to YouTube slash Everyday Driver. It's pretty much, uh, as we talk about at the end of our podcast, Everyday Driver after everything, whether it's Twitter or Facebook, YouTube slash Everyday Driver. And if you have your own car debate that you want to ask us about, TV at gmail.com. We're also doing something called Fast Blast content for, you know, the kind of one-off fun cars that... Older things, too. You know, yeah. older things, hmm. that kind of thing. You can please send us a message on Facebook for, you know, suggestions for content, or even if you just want to say, Hey, and give us suggestions for subjects, we're definitely open to that. We yeah, read the, everything. The, the, the only exception to the just everyday driver rule is the everyday driver TV at Gmail. Mm-hmm. That's the weird, yeah. but, <laughs> but the, the, the podcast we do, it's every Tuesday. It's called the everyday driver car debate. You can mm-hmm. find it on iTunes. You can find it on Stitcher. I will say this. If you're on iTunes, you'll see also another everyday driver listed still us, but that's reposts of our videos. If you're looking okay. for the audio podcast, that is the everyday driver car debate. It's a half hour, 45 minutes every Tuesday. We typically cover two, sometimes three people's car debates. We're getting bombarded with email now, which yeah, is actually kind of awesome because we can <laughs> vary up the subjects a lot. Yeah. We also talk car news and other kind of car reveals and that kind of stuff. We don't spend a lot of time on that, but we're getting other questions in now. I mean, you, you bring up this kind of stuff, Thomas, some of the stuff you're asking, we're starting to get on the podcast as well. People are like, Hey, when I'm buying a car, what about this? Hey, what about these transmissions? What does that mean? Will you just take general car questions on the debate as well? So we welcome yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. I really like it. I just, you know, I think I listened to every episode you guys have out so far, which isn't a whole lot, you know, maybe 30 or 40, maybe we're just coming up on one year. Yeah, this just next one week year. is one yeah. year, two episodes. But yeah, yeah, just listening to that while I drive or walk around is, uh, ballooned my knowledge of what is available and what I should be looking for. Glad, Before this, I was like, I drive a Malibu. I'll get another Malibu until people told me don't buy the new Malibu. <laughs> thrilled that you didn't. We're thrilled that you love your car too. That's yeah. the point. So I'm really happy with it. Thank you guys so much. This has been an awesome episode and hopefully people can use it to get a great deal on a car that they actually will love spending time in. Let's hope so. Yeah. Thanks for having us on. We really appreciate it to you and your listeners. Huge thanks. Thanks, All right. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening. If you made it through both part one and two, then you've got two hours worth of car buying knowledge sifting around in your brain right now. Hopefully you found at least some of that useful. You can follow Todd and Paul. They have lots of reviews and other podcast episodes on their own show with even more information if you want to dig into this. If not, then you can always go over to the show notes and start reading if the reading is your thing. Um, Those are over at CIGpodcast.com. Episode 69 and 70 links will get you all the things you would want to click on and read and stuff, right? You can also find resources for how to make your college experience more efficient and effective and fun with book recommendations and productivity tools and gear that I recommend. That's all over at collegeinfogeek.com slash resources. And that's all we got for this 
two-part series. I've had a lot of fun talking with Todd and Paul, so I really appreciate them coming on the show. And if you like them, you know, uh, reach out on Twitter, tell them you enjoyed this episode, or just watch their stuff. So thanks so much for listening, and I will see you in next week's episode. Stay cute. Thanks for listening to the College Info Geek Podcast. Grow your brain even more at www.collegeinfogeek.com.